The title is Don't Hinder with Your Freedom. Now, I want to I want to throw a hint the word hinder out there as it pertains to the sport of racquetball, which I know nothing about. But a couple of pastors, pastors have always been known to be, um, in my experience, very competitive. Um, they're sports guys, a lot of them. They may not be good at sports, but they either watch it or they have some pet sport like golf or baseball or whatever that they like. So I was on staff with the other Calvary in town uh, for many years, and a couple of pastors who will remain nameless mm-hmm. till live long day. Look, I am one of the most competitive sports guys there there can be. So it's not a bad thing that somebody happens to be competitive in sports. But I am not, I played tennis for a little while and racquetball. Now it's all pickleball, which I haven't even played, but one time ever, but now everybody's into that. But tennis kind of has lost, unfortunately, some popularity, but I grew up playing tennis. And so I go to, I, I get on staff and a couple of these youth guys are like, Hey, we play racquetball at LA fitness. So I'm like, all right. Like, do I have to? They're like, just come and play. It's fun. So I, I, I grab a racket and I hit this ball and I don't know what I'm doing in this little weird echoey chamber. Um, but I hit it and he screams hinder. I'm like, what? He's like, you hindered me. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, that's a thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? What does hinder mean? He goes, you interfered with my ability to hit that shot. I'm like, okay, that's a real thing. So I looked it up. It is. And he used it very liberally, I will say, lots of different times to get other uh, points. But hindrance in in that sport is something that, um, you, you, like somebody gets in your way to hit a shot or a ball hits you that would not have gone the distance it has to go. Like, like I said, I don't remember racquetball for good reason. Um, it's it, like you, there is no sport where you can just get hurt the way you can in that sport. Not to mention just being hit in the face with this rubber ball, like at a hundred miles an hour. It's so dumb. Um, I'd rather, I think pickleball is probably more my sport. My, my friend who's 75 plays it. So I think I can do it, but hindrance in the Christian walk is a very different thing outside of that. There is some degree of interference and so what Paul has been talking about, it's been a while since we were in the study, <clears throat> he's been talking about meat sacrifice to idols. He's been talking about idolatry and how <clears throat> anything that you put in front of God as a Christian is an idol. It doesn't have to be a little, you know, carved thing that you would think you'd buy in a New Orleans witch shop that looks like an idol. Idolatry is, is a little cleaner in our society, but it's still idolatry nonetheless. And he's talking about those Christians in this church that go into the the temple in Corinth where they sacrifice meat and it's less expensive after it's been sacrificed to idols. Obviously they didn't have refrigeration. Obviously they didn't have freezers. And so that meat's got to get used and it's got to be sold. And so it's cheaper. And so buying the meat and going home is one thing. Buying the meat as you partake in the service of whatever temple God they're sacrificing this meat to while other Christians from the church see you doing that is a very different matter. And so that's the context. And so there's this idea of hindering another person, and there's this idea of freedom in Christ. And we've talked about this one verse, 23, a ton. And I've referenced it over the years because a lot of people take this liberty in Christ thing to a level that you can't even, I mean, it's like way past where it should have ever gone. But 
<clears throat> you and I can't hinder other people with our freedom in Christ. Americans are hyper aware of freedom. We're hyper aware of liberty and all the things that that comes with. We also know what the opposite means. The opposite, the opposite of liberty is being a slave to something or being not free. And so we understand that because in our country, that is constantly before us. We live in a country that was labeled the land of the free and the home of the brave. It was labeled that. There have been some changes since that phrase was coined, but Americans are very divided to this day on their feelings about this. And this message has nothing to do with the political. It has nothing to do with any politician or any le legislation that's, that's happened or will be happening. <clears throat> it is simply about the freedom that a Christian has and what they are to do with it, specifically as it pertains to other Christians and newer Christians or people who have, have, maybe have a weaker conscience than you do. So I want to read uh, verse 23 because it's, 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 it's kind of the, the base of the entire teaching. And I love this verse. I've known, this is one of one verse I've known for longer than so many other than John three sixteen. Um, verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are helpful. Not all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. <clears throat> now I know it from a different version. I don't know which version this is. But all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's the, the version I know. I don't even know which version that is. But when it pertains to Christian liberty, you are not under the law. You are in Christ. Therefore, you and through Christ, when he fulfilled the law, you are in him. You were in him. That's why he got baptized. It, it showed you the idea of you going into the grave and coming out resurrected by God's Holy Spirit. And that is a huge deal. If you haven't been baptized, you definitely need to be baptized. And we do those baptize, ba baptisms here case by case. Like as, as somebody comes and says, hey, I want to do, do baptism, we, we'll put it on the schedule. We'll, we'll, get it, we'll get it going. But you definitely need to do it. Um, but he says, all things are lawful for me as a Christian. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. The operative words there are helpful and edify. Does the thing that you're doing help someone else? Does it help them in their faith? Does it help them in their walk? Does it help them in the fellowship of the beloved, the body of Christ? Also, does it edify? Does it build them up? Does it build up their spiritual character? <clears throat> um, when we hear a verse like this, all things are lawful. All things are okay, basically. Some immediately think that means I can just go do whatever I want. As a Christian, I no longer, it's like, you, it's like you're playing with house money. Like you can go do all the things you wanted to do because Jesus has got your tab paid. He's got the, the Infinity American Express gold card on your head. So whatever you do, it's paid. But that's not the heart of the gospel. That is clearly not the heart of this letter at all. It is true that you are not under the law, that no sin that you may or may not commit will keep you from heaven because Jesus has paid for all sin. Past, he paid all sin. At the same time, this is where we get into, well, you know, you can say that, but you can't, you can't hinder my freedom. You can't, you can't handcuff me. You can't stop me. 
I want to read Matthew 22, 37 through 40, essential to understanding the heart and the spirit of this, of this text, but not just the verse, but the whole text. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, basically everything that is you. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two. So when you think about somebody who, like, like somebody who's Jewish, and they still are, are, the Mosaic law is their governance, okay? When you talk to somebody like that. You talk to somebody who goes, oh, we, you know, we might be free in Christ, but we still got to keep all of the law. What, whoever you're talking to that, that goes back to this law, 613 do's and don'ts. I can't remember like what I did yesterday. Like seriously, Shannon asked me, she goes, uh, it was, uh, it was, I think it was Saturday. She asked me what I did on Friday or something. I can't even remember that. Um, that's where things are headed here with, with my, with my memory. And I did so many things that day that I was like, I know I had lunch and it was delicious, but I did, um, I was at the church. I talked to Frank. It was like, it was all I could do to remember it. You think I'm going to remember 16, 613 things. You think I'm going to like do well with that? I am not. I like the 10 commandments were hard enough for the Israelites as God had miraculously saved them. That was enough. Jesus goes, Hey, here's the deal. Forget all of the Mosaic law. And this was it. Well, while he was in process, had not died on the cross yet in Matthew chapter 22, the whole law, you, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you, you novices, you Gentiles that might've be like overhearing something. The whole law is summed up in love God with everything that you are and love people with everything that you are after that. After that, check your freedom. If, if what you want to do violates that, you need to think about that. If what you want to do is in line with that, great. If somebody somewhere goes, oh, I wouldn't have gone there. I wouldn't have done that. Hey, you've cleared it with, this is something I did out of love for the Lord. This is something I did out of love for people. And there's still going to be people that come after you <laughs> for stuff. There's still going to be people that, that harpoon you for saying something that might not be very popular these days. Or, oh, you can't say that these days. Hey, you don't, can't say a lot of the scriptures publicly these days, but you still do because it's the truth. It's what sets people free. The two words, once again, that help shape where the verse is headed are helpful and edify. Is a person who is looking to take advantage of their freedom, looking out for your own well-being or their brother and sister? You have to ask that question. And people, people, um, often ask me Bible questions and like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? Or this guy's preaching this kind of new thing. It's like a new, a new theology or a new, whatever. I'm like new. This Bible did not come out last week. It's never changed. God has never changed something new that everyone has missed since Jesus and Jesus. I think we can stay away from that. But remember the context of the verse. He's been talking about idolatry. And other Christians in this church stumbling other brothers and sisters. That is the context of most of this letter, certainly in the middle of the letter. Um, the meat being sacrificed to idols and taking part in the worship ceremonies at these places. Verse 24, 
Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So what comes out of verse 23 is don't seek out your own will. Don't seek out to use this freedom to carve your own path. And oftentimes that's just, hey, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And I don't really care because I'm a Christian and I'm not under law. I can do whatever I want. That's a scary place to be. When you hear somebody say that, that's a scary place to be. The elements of Matthew 22 taught us, let no one seek their own. Why? Because you have a master. You seek the Lord Christ. You seek God. What did Jesus do the whole time he was in ministry? He sought the morning to pray and ask the Father to lead him, the Holy Spirit to lead him. Jesus, people forget this oftentimes when they get discouraged about prayers that are not answered. Jesus asked God not one time, but multiple times, multiple times that we know of that are in scripture. I mean, you think that Jesus can be contained in this much of a typed book, his life? John said the books of the world couldn't contain what this guy did in three years. You're talking about in writing, Jesus asking, Father, if there's any way for what the next six hours are going to hold, if there's any way past that, please let this cup pass. So Jesus asked a prayer request that God was like, hmm, you know, we can't do that. And then he said, yet, not my will, but yours be done. Let no one seek his own. Jesus, our Lord, did not seek his own. He sought after, he sought the father's will, which was for our, those that would come to him, our betterment for our salvation. So in Matthew 22, no one seeks their own where Jesus sought the father's first interest and secondly, looking out for someone else's well-being as it pertains to your freedom. That's, that's a novel concept. That is higher order living, for sure. If Christians worried more about these two verses, 23 and 24, if they worried more about these two verses, how much more balance and joy would the Christian community, the large Christian community that's on this planet, how much more harmony would we have amongst each other? There is so much fighting within Christians. And, and it's, it's it, it, like, to quote James, brothers, sisters, this should not be. It should not be that way. It is that way because we all have this little thing called an ego. We all have this little thing called pride. And we can't completely rid ourselves on this side of heaven. I told you guys that I was competitive. In the 90s, I went to a Bible college called Moody Bible Institute. If you've never heard of it, look up D.L. Moody and see what kind of a guy he was. And think about how conservative that university, that college was in the late 90s where uh, girls were not, girls could not wear slacks. Still had to wear skirts past a certain length or they'd get in trouble. This is the 90s, okay? This was not the 50s, 60s. Now, it's not Bob Jones, pink sidewalk, blue sidewalk. It was never like that, but it was pretty conservative. And yet, it was a bunch of guys that were either going to be radio pastor type things or... Um, uh, uh, flying missionaries, like, like Bush pilot type stuff, or just pastors in general. That's what Moody was mostly for. So we would do intramural sports because we, we couldn't recruit anybody. Like no athlete that wants to go to the NBA is going to spend his time at Moody Bible Institute for a year because we don't have any real sports, but we had intramural sports. And I got to tell you the fights we got into and the cussing you heard 
on that gym floor could rival ASU. And I'm not kidding. It was like embarrassing. I'm like, man, we are horrible. We are horrible people. God's like, exactly. That's who I pick. I pick the weakest. You guys are definitely them. Um, But honestly, like the competitiveness of people is one of the reasons why pastors struggle. Hey, did you hear so-and-so sermon? How many people is he up to? Oh, I got to do something. There's competitiveness. There just is in, in a lot of Christian organizations or whatever. This person left and we're going to blacklist that guy or this guy thinks we're out of line. So we're going to, we're going to kind of like stiff, stiff arm this guy. I've seen it so many times and it's so sad that it happens. But if you and I were looking out for God's best interest and other people's best interest, how would that shift our freedoms? How would that like just change us in general? And he says in verse 25, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. This is Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Everything on this planet was made by God. Everything elements-wise, the periodic table, which changes even every year, they add more elements that they either find or they make. Those things in their raw form create all the things we have. We have abundance of trees. We make houses out of them. We have metals. We have all these things. But God put them here. And matter is neat. I remember one thing from science class. Matter is not created nor destroyed. It just converts into other things. And so eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Don't ask questions about it. How long does it take when you talk to somebody who's a wicked butcher to get to something that's going to maybe stumble your conscience a little bit? Five minutes, 10 tops. I mean, you think about the city that this was. You think about like, I always think about New Orleans or Las Vegas because I've been to both cities. And when you, when you go there, you're like, man, this place is messed up. And it doesn't take long for, if you're looking for a little trouble, it doesn't take you five minutes to find it in those two cities, literally at 12 noon, at 8 a.m. And so when you go to these places, you don't go up to the witch who's selling keychains and go, hey, tell me a little bit about where this keychain's been. And has it been inside of your store very long? Oh, yeah. First, the first thing I do is I put them next to this, uh, this little chicken foot and a feather and some, some blood from some weird thing that I came up with. And then I bless them all. And then I sell them to you. And even though it says Jesus loves you because I, I'm an equal opportunity person, that's what happened to it. Now, do you want to buy it? The Christian's going to go, well, no, if you have to buy a keychain and the person's out there and you don't know much about the shop, you just buy it and leave. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't try to get somewhere now, you don't need a keychain. It's a bad example. You don't need one. But you do need to eat delicious steaks. Amen. Amen. And hopefully we'll have some of those next week. Um, but the, earth's, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. So let's say, for argument's sake, that you are a missionary to Corinth and somebody who's involved in the black arts or whatever invites you over to their house. He says, go. And if they put out before you a strip steak, don't ask what they did to it. Just eat it. If it looks okay and it smells okay, just eat it. Don't ask. Don't try. For your own conscience sake, don't try to get 
a thousand words on where that state came from. I used to have a super, super sensitive conscience about like just any little thing. Like Satan just hammered me about stuff when I was at that Bible college. And it was like any little thing. And I just got, I got hung up so much on such stupid little things that were not spiritual issues at all. But somebody would say something and I, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Or I mean, you, you literally are like enslaved to conscience. And God's like, look, do you love me? It's like what he asked Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Okay, then just come after me. Just follow me. Just read my word. Now, there are times when your conscience sets off alarms and you need to listen to that. For sure. God gave that to us. But it's not like these people are doing something horrible by eating steak, by eating a hot dog, by eating whatever. They're, you have to eat. And he's like, just don't ask. Like, if you struggle with this, just freely eat it. You're, you're free to purchase what's sold at the meat market, guys. Don't ask about it. Everything on this planet has been made by God. Food's been given to you. It's a blessing. A great meal, like a really, really great meal, such a great blessing. And it's one of the few things left on this earth that we can like plan for, make, and, and it really can be like a, a serious blessing. Like our, our potlucks are awesome. They're an awesome time. And people really make some great, great things and it's, very, it's a huge blessing. But this place was perfect when God gave it to us. It really was. When God gave, when he gave this earth to Adam and Eve, it was perfect. And it, because of the curse of sin, is wearing out, it's going bad, it has, it is cursed, period. And so the longer we live here, the more it's wearing out. It's like a pair of tires. They don't last for forever. They are going to go bad. And it's not the climate that caused them to go bad, just so you know. They are just going to go bad because they're on, you and I wear out, you know? But it was perfect when God gave it to us. And we have to eat, so enjoy, and don't be a detective when you go in there. That's basically what he's saying. Don't be a detective when you go to somebody's house to eat an awesome meal. But if anyone says to you, hey, by the way, this was offered to idols, just so you know, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for your conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Once again, he says this two different times in a couple of verses. The earth is the Lord's. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. Why does he tell struggling Christians, struggling conscience, whatever you want to call it, why does he continue to put this? Because the people that you're talking to were made by God. Even though they're not serving God right now, even though they're involved in something that is sinful, even though they're, they're, they might be really, really, really doing horrible things, God still loves them, and you should too. And God still is interested in their salvation, and you should be too. And so, hey, if they let you know, oh, by the way, um, we did this huge, crazy ritual, and um, you're eating Zeus's favorite steak. And we have dedicated his steak, and there's even a little brand on the back. You don't see it. It's a Z. Mm, you know what? I'm going to, can I pass? I just pass. I'll have the, the garbanzo beans. He's just saying, there's people watching you. And if you know that, you may take some struggling conscience outside of that house as well. That may be an unnecessary stumbling block for you down the road. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of? 
or the food over which I give thanks. There's so much in here, but we're, we're doing a lot of this to protect the weak. A, a person that may be coming to Christ, everybody else has eaten the Zeus steak, if you will. And then you stop and they go, something different about that person. They serve somebody other than that. They don't believe that that's something that they should partake in. It may start another conversation. It may convict them. It likely will do both, especially back in the day, especially if you're invited into somebody's house like that. But I want to read what David Guzik says about this because I love, I love how he puts it in this idea of partaking. Um, and I want to read verse 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. He says, the purpose of our lives isn't to see how much we can get away with and still be Christians. And when you think about people asking you, oh, is it okay if a Christian does, th- does this, does that? It's kind of the wrong question to be asking. It really is. But the purpose of your life and my life, if we're followers of Christ, is not to see what we can get away with and still be Christians. Rather, it is to glorify God. If the Corinthian Christian would have kept this principle in mind from the beginning in this issue, how much easier it would have been for everything. Um, Give no offense. An offense is an occasion to stumble, or once again, a hinder, a hindrance, leading someone else into sin. Paul says none of our behavior should encourage another person to sin. Paul is not talking about offending the legalism of others. Um, David Guzik would say that Paul tried to offend the legalism of others, that um, legalistic, harsh Christians, today we would call them discernment ministry people sometimes, um, who are like the detectives of all of us. Like we somehow have this internal affairs that we didn't sign up for in Christianity, and they're the ones that are like, stop right there. Uh, what's going on here? Are you guys playing cards? Uh, okay, all of you are going to hell. Uh, next, next case. No one asked for that. No one asked for them. No one has given them any authority. But I, we've had them come into our church, and they, they give people a trip that nowhere in Scripture do I find that trip. They have done that. Um, it hasn't been tons, but it's, there's been a few. And they have given even some bad theology in some of that stuff. But he's not talking about offending the legalism of others, something he was not shy about doing. Paul's desire regarding men <clears throat> was that they be saved. That was his number one thing is do everything so that people can have a, there's a bridge to Christ. There's just this easy, like, hey, walk towards Christ. That was Paul's entire deal. He was less concerned about his freedoms than he was people coming to Christ. More often than we think, low conduct, hear this, more often than we think, low conduct in Christian living is connected to little regard for the lost. Paul's concern was seeking people to be saved. So don't be an offender. Uh, Verse uh, 32, give no offense, either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Don't be somebody that stumbles people. Don't be somebody that hinders somebody from finding Christ just because you're like, well, but I want to go do that or I want to go to that place or that place. If you're truly following Christ, Christ might have you go, "Mm, nah, not not around that group. That these, these are people who, even though that seems like it's not a big deal, I remember the whole rated R movies thing of the 80s and 90s that, oh my gosh, if you went to a rated R movie and then Mel Gibson makes The Passion of the Christ and it's rated R, then it should have been because it was, it was ridiculously gory, but probably wasn't even gory enough uh, for what Christ went through. But I remember, um, I think I told you guys this, my grandfather, uh, like 
and my dad growing up, like we would never have gone to something like that. We would have never seen a rated R movie. And I thought it was a little like, I mean, especially when I got into high school, I was like, well, I'll just watch this scary movie in my buddy's sleepover and nobody will be the wiser. Um, somehow you always found out. I don't know how, but, but when it comes to like movies like that, it's a different story. It's like, it's not just the principle of rated R that stumbles somebody. It's what are you watching? Why are you watching it? And so when we all saw Passion of the Christ, I mean, I rented a theater out and, and there wasn't a seat available because people wanted to see that so bad and people were bawling. They were, I mean, I had tears in my eyes. So many people had tears in their eyes when they saw a picture of what, and like I said, it was, it was tame for what really, really happened in terms of its duration, how long Christ was being punished for our sins. But when you consider what stumbles people nowadays, I mean, the, the offenses to be offended is to be like a, an American now, like I'm offended at everything. That's not what he's talking about. If you live for Christ, you will offend. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the things that stumble other Christians or people who are like coming, your, your, your lunch with them or your dinner with them is about bringing them to Christ. And so in that thing that they're doing, you don't do something that makes them go, huh, I wonder why you wouldn't do that. And then it opens up a conversation. Well, you know, you, you, you sacrifice this to a God. Let me tell you who God is. You're sacrificing to an unknown God, a myth. Zeus is a Greek myth, little G, just like a little tiny voodoo doll is a little G that somebody in New Orleans might sell you. Um, these are not alive things, but they have a, the power of the devil behind them. So it's definitely not something to mess with, like a Ouija board. Uh, that was another thing in the 80s. It was just everywhere you look, like, hey, we're doing Ouija tonight. I'm, I'm glad. I had some friends from sixth grade, I went to a public sixth grade, and they were like, hey, we're doing Ouija on, uh, I always thought it was called Outjaw, because that's how it's spelled. Um, I always struggled with, with um, dyslexia and whatnot, but I was like, I'm not doing Outjaw. They're like, it's Ouija. I'm like, how do we get we from that? But whatever. Um, we aren't doing it. Me and Jesus. How about that? So um, I told my mom what they were doing. And she goes, uh, Hey, just make me out to be the bad guy. Tell them that I, anytime they're going to do that. Cause they were largely good kids, but they were like, Hey, this isn't a big deal, but it's kind of spooky. And, um, nightmare on Elm street and Jason were coming out back then. And so it was like, there was a lot of that every Halloween, there's always these stupid movies that come out. And so I was like, Hey, I can't do that. I got to be home. And my mom goes, make me be the bad guy. Tell them your mom wants you home. Anytime that like, Oh, I got to go home. My mom wants me home. Like no cell phones, no pagers, no nothing back then. She goes, just if they ever talk about doing it, if they ever do do that at the house, run. And I'm, I'm glad for that because I don't have that past. I mean, that's like a terrifying thing to me to have like gone into a lot of that stuff because I think it, I think it messes with you for a long, long time. So he's saying, do everything you do, protect weak Christians, protect people in, in God's uh, family but do all to the glory of God. Don't be somebody who offends people or does things just to show off your Christian freedom. Um, lastly, verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And this is how Paul closes it. I love uh, the first verse of the next chapter. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what he says. It's a necessary attitude, guys, for true Christians. 
We have to let a lot of stuff roll off our back. We will be offended. People say stuff to us all the time that's offensive. But this is a time where offenses, Jesus warned about this. All the things that are happening around, he told us in Matthew, told us all this stuff. And some Christians act like, where is this coming from? And like prophecy coming from 2000 years of like waiting for it to happen. That's what's happening. Everything that's happening right now, God is not surprised by one element, one second of it. I was telling somebody before the service, what difference does it make if he comes back today, two months from now, two years from now? If you're ready, what difference does it make? Your theology, your, well, I know all these other things and I've done all these other studies and I know what's going on. I know what's really going on with Iran and stuff. Great. Awesome. Be ready. Uh, I don't know nothing about the Middle East. I don't know what, I don't even know, I didn't even know Syria was a country. Great. Who cares? Be ready. It never matters if you're ready. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a historian. You don't have to be the person with all the answers. You just have to point people to the answer and be ready. That's what we're doing here. Once again, it's easy to be offended. Easiest in the world to be offended. But if we, were, if we remember what we're doing here and realizing that time is short, it puts things into the proper perspective. A couple things in closing. Freedom granted by our constitution, America, and freedom in Christ can often move in different directions. We have to understand that. It would be great to live here under the greatest laws ever that everybody was all in on, but we don't have that. A lot of people are not all in on the original constitution and following Jesus Christ. If they were, that would be called heaven, and it will be awesome. But that's for later. One is the freedom to pursue a dream and the pursuit of an individual's happiness. And the other is to pursue serving your savior. Savior, Meaning when you serve for a living, that's not Lord of the restaurant. That's the service person. That's the person who goes, uh, hey, there's a five-year-old that just spilled Cheerios and he threw up. You need to go clean that up. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Whoever your boss is. It's not, mm, I don't do that. You're a server. You do do that or you won't be working here. That's what service is. Service is listening to people and doing something that you might not want to do because somebody asked you to do it. And it's like, well, wouldn't, I, wouldn't it be better to be on my lazy boy watching what I want to watch? Well, yeah, but that's not an option right now. You're working. You're serving. There will be, I don't know if heaven has lazy boys. I don't know. But a really great nap in a lazy boy in my own mind, I feel like there's nothing better, right? Especially if there's a palm tree in the ocean right there. If we could just bring lazy boys out onto the beach, it'd be amazing. Um, and no bucks. But it's not possible right now. For right now, we are the light. We are to be people who point people in the right direction. And we cannot be hindering people that may be coming. People that are around us. So, once again... Freedom granted by our constitution and freedom in Christ can and often move in different directions. Secondly and lastly, we can't insist on our freedom in Christ while offending and hindering other believers or future believers. We cannot be doing that. And that's not, that's not an indictment on any person. That's just a fact. That's just what Paul is saying here. Guys, all glory be to God. Let's not be people that stop people from finding Jesus. Let's not be people who get in the way 
So like, like here's a person and here's Christ and I'm the roadblock and I'm a Christian. Like heaven never be that, be the case. We can't insist on our freedoms in Christ while offending other people and hindering other people from coming to Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we read these uh, sobering words from Paul, God, we know that um, you lived this perfectly and you showed us how to live. And God, it is, uh, it is one thing to read it out loud. It's another thing to go do it Monday through Saturday. Uh, it's another thing like the song says to have a Sunday morning faith. It's, it's easy to have a collective faith for 55 minutes. Um, but God, as we leave, we go out and interact with a world that's um, opposed to this message. Um, God, give us grace. Give us your spirit's leading and power in Jesus' name. Amen.